I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Watered Down Women With diluted dreams Our home for joy Has been washed down the street Close your eyes for a moment and try to think back to your earliest memory. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it a place? A person? An object? Or maybe even a smell? Perhaps the aroma of an apple pie baking in the oven takes you back to a moment spent in your grandma's kitchen. And the bouquet from that succulent fruit is so enticing that you even feel compelled to lick your lips. But what if the scent is putrid or unsavory? Instead of the apple enticing you with its tempting taste, it has instead overripened and reeks of a sour odor or fermented cider. Memories are strange things, and what may be a prominent recollection for you may be totally unretrievable for your siblings. With only three rooms, no running water, and a makeshift outhouse standing precariously just a few yards from the back door, I'm guessing that Eliza's ramshackle house on Pryor Road reminded her of her childhood home in West Virginia. More than likely, though, that's where the similarities ended, because her home down south was probably located down a long, winding holler with few, if any, neighbors. Whereas this particular house was one of several crudely built shanties. According to property tax records from that era and narratives from local longtime residents, the north end of the city of Mansfield, Ohio, was originally purchased by a local businessman who built a stately home for his wife and operated a successful working farm on that land. In time, though, a large industrial complex was developed nearby, and the construction of the steel manufacturing company and its need for immediate and immense staffing changed the complexion of the neighborhood. The grand farm was eventually divided up into parcels in hopes of developers building homes and neighborhoods worthy of the respect of the prestigious country club placed like a crown jewel on the pinnacle of this region. Unfortunately, for those with high hopes of a grand domain, this aspiration didn't come to fruition. The neighborhood was divided up into allotments, and the area known as the Country Club Development was purchased primarily by three individuals who profited from the Second World War's need for workers in the booming industrial trades by selling off land parcels to the numerous Appalachian transplants. Because this area was located just outside the city limits and was pretty much void of housing codes and building specifications, hurried and haphazard dwellings were erected and the area became equivalent to its sister cities in the south. The road that housed the Hall family was named for Frank Pyre who originally purchased a large portion of the country club allotment. After numerous buyers and sellers, 
and due to a clerical error, the Pyre name was switched to Pryor, and that remains the name of the road to this day. Exactly when the Hall family arrived in Mansfield is unclear, but according to distant family members, the fact that Eliza had several relatives living in the area, including many of her siblings and possibly even her parents, led to Jess's decision to migrate north, allegedly in hopes of finding stable and sufficient employment. They settled in a three-room house that was crammed centrally between more than a dozen other crude quarters, all assembled on their side of the demarcation and opposing nearly a dozen or so identical dwellings and separated only by a deeply rutted dirt path that barely resembled a road. The date is now nearing the end of the 1940s, and America has become spirited with a post-war celebration and renewed hope for the future. With thousands of young American men returning home, marriage rates soared and the baby boom began. As women left the factory floors to resume their domestic duties, the men were reinstated into manufacturing roles and once again assumed their duties as the family breadwinner. With stability abounding and finances flourishing, a new concept known as the suburbs began to arise. The quaint hamlet of Levittown, New York, became the precursor of middle-class life, and according to the website untapcities.com, each one of these Americana homes was equipped with televisions and modern kitchens. Homes cost around $8,000 at the end of the 1940s, and the GI Bill reduced this cost to only around $400. The seemingly utopian life was splendid for the returning GIs and their families. As many Americans were prospering during this industrial economic explosion, work was readily available, and it's been said that a man could quit a job after breakfast, find new employment by lunchtime, and start an even higher paying position before that evening's meal. However, the curious thing about finding a job is that if you don't actually and physically look for one, chances are that you will not find one. While interviewing childhood neighbors of the Hall family, it was reported that Jess Hall wasn't himself fond of working, but he had no trouble putting his teenage daughters to work in any fashion that was necessary to provide money for him, even if it meant those girls being sexually or physically abused in the process. Evidently, the Hall daughters were the only ones required to contribute to the family's income. Sandy, a childhood neighbor and friend of the Hall children, recalls a conversation with Clyde, the eldest Hall son. And his son, who was Clyde Hall, said, told my mother and me, I was a kid even, that he was five years old and his dad would throw him out in the snow and tell him if he didn't come back 
with five dollars. He wasn't coming back in that house. Even if Eliza stood at the front door of her Ohio home and could magically gaze far to the east, she'd never catch a glimpse of the cookie-cutter houses with the white picket fences that dotted the New York suburban landscape. Her reality was the nightmarish life of physical and emotional abuse at the commanding hand of her repulsive and loathsome husband. Although Eliza had family members within walking distance to her, one of her nieces reports having no memory of her departed aunt and said that her mother, Eliza's own sister, had no pictures or family stories to share about her elusive and evasive older sister. What did Eliza see when she looked in the mirror? We women are often our own worst enemies and usually engage a laser-sharp focus toward our blemishes and imperfections and work tirelessly to conceal and disguise them. But after years of abuse and embarrassment, did Eliza still recognize the person staring back at her? Or had she not only become apathetic toward the woman in the looking glass, but perhaps disenchanted with life itself? Alice lived on Pryor Road as a teenager and holds several memories of the Hall family and life from that tumultuous era. She was, uh, she was skinny. I mean, you know, she wasn't a fat person. And best I can remember her is she had uh, brown hair and <laughs> She'd let it hang down sometimes, and then she'd roll it. You know how they used to roll their hair up and pin it? Well, she wore it sometimes like that. Now, I can remember that. And I also can remember them quarreling in a fight. They did a lot. Most of the other women on the street took pity on Eliza and her children. Although those women were equally poor and their husbands were guilty at times, of being physically heavy-handed, and most imbibed more than their fair share of alcohol. But those men paled in comparison to the dark side of Jess Hall, and they certainly knew when to draw the line of abuse. Perhaps those neighbor gals offered a listening ear to Eliza, wiped her cuts with mercurochrome, provided ice to lessen the swelling from her blackened eye, or simply listened while she poured out her heart and released the tears that Jess forbade her to cry. Maybe she considered one or two of them to be her friends and felt comfortable enough to borrow some flour to make a skillet of gravy or ask for an egg to bake a pone of cornbread. But which one of these women was married to the man who lent Jess Hall the shotgun that he pressed firmly against Eliza's face on one very cold January day.
grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women. Watered-down women with diluted dreams all hope for joy has been washed down